0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 153, entitled, The Christology of the Covenantal Groom. We have been exploring the unique depictions of God and the Lamb within the book of Revelation as of late on the Biblical Unitarian podcast. One of the major emphases in Revelation, which is only touched upon in other New Testament documents, is the covenants metaphor of marriage, wherein the Lamb acts as the husband, and the believing people of God are the bride. This theology is spoken of more frequently in the book of Revelation than in the Gospels and in the letters of Paul. Some interpreters have pointed out that within the Hebrew Bible, Yahweh himself is the husband of the covenant. In the New Testament, however, Jesus is always the husband. This has led interpreters to conclude that Jesus is God, prompting an extremely high Christology. In this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, we will explore how the covenant is portrayed in terms of a marriage Between a bride and a groom. Both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament will be examined to see who acts as the husband, who is depicted as the bride, and if there are any discernible shifts between the two testaments. Does the New Testament's portrayal of Jesus as the covenantal husband indicate that Jesus is, in fact, Yahweh himself? Or should the response be more nuanced than that? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is God as the covenantal groom in the Hebrew Bible. The first passage we'll look at is in Isaiah 54, starting in verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, And do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is Yahweh of hosts, And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For Yahweh has called you, Like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says Yahweh your Redeemer. That's Isaiah 54, verses 4 through 8. So within this passage, in the highly poetic section of the major prophets, we can see that the husband is specifically the creator. It is Yahweh himself. The wife, within this marriage metaphor of the covenant, is the nation of Israel, the children of Israel. And there appears to be some tension within the marriage covenant due to Israel's unfaithful behavior. There are promises of restoration and promises of a renewal of this particular covenant. Let's look a little bit further in Isaiah, this time in chapter 62, starting in verse 4. It will no longer be said of you, forsaken... Not to your land will it any longer be said desolate. But you will be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For Yahweh delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God Will rejoice over you as i say 62 verses 4 through 5 again we can see the covenant depicted as a marriage the husband is clearly yahweh and he is the god of the jews and the bride is the jewish people as it says in that last verse verse 5 whereas the groom rejoices over the bride so your god will rejoice over you quite clearly the husband and the bride are portrayed for the readers to clearly see. Let's move on to Ezekiel, this time in chapter 16, starting in verse 8. Then I passed by you, and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you, and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you, and entered into a covenant with you, so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of purpoise skin on your feet. And I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus, you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, and you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced in royalty. Then, Your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of your fame, and you poured out your harlotries on every passerby who might be willing. You took of your clothes made for yourself high places of various colors, and played the harlot on them, which should never come about nor happen. That's Ezekiel 16, verses 8 through 16. So what we see here in the prophet Ezekiel is similar to what we saw in Isaiah, which is that Yahweh is the husband, and there is a lot of effort that is spent describing how good The husband was to the bride. In this depiction of the covenant, specifically the metaphor of marriage, the husband is very good to the bride. The bride is, of course, Israel, and Israel has acted unfaithfully within this covenant, resulting in Israel being described as a harlot, a very unfaithful female figure. Now let's move on to the prophet Hosea looking at chapter 2, starting in verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, then you will know the Lord. That's Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. Again, we can see, Yahweh, clearly, is the husband, and he promises in this passage of covenant renewal to betroth his people in righteousness and in justice. Clearly the bride here is the people of God. So based on the marriage metaphor within the covenant that we see in the Hebrew Bible, we can safely draw some conclusions. First, the groom-husband is Yahweh himself. Second, the bride-wife is the nation of Israel, the collective group of the children of Israel. Third, the bride has not been very faithful to the covenant, prompting God to issue promises of renewal and promises of restoration. We will have to see what the New Testament has to say about this renewed covenant. And it is to those passages that we will now turn. Our second point today is Jesus as the covenantal groom in the New Testament. We will start in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fattened livestock. All are butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast but they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came out to look over the dinner guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. That's Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. And there's a lot that we can glean from this particular passage. First thing is that the covenant is now related to the kingdom of God. Which really is to be expected since many of the passages that we read in the Hebrew Bible regarding this covenant spoke of a time of renewal and restoration in regard to the covenant's renewal. We also see, and this is important, that the king offers a wedding feast for his son. It is the son who is getting married. It's not the king getting married, it's the son getting married. Now, the king would clearly represent God, and his son, the son of God, could refer to either Israel or to the Israelite ruler, namely the Messiah. Now, since it's unlikely that Israel, which formally took the bride role within the Hebrew Bible, could be the male in the wedding, this strongly suggests that the son refers to the Messiah. Israel's ruler so it would suggest that this parable in Matthew 22 indicates that the king God is giving a wedding feast for his son who is getting married namely the anointed king the Messiah it's interesting though that the bride is not specifically mentioned we have to be honest about that when we're looking at this particular passage So God has given a wedding feast for the Messianic ruler, namely the Son of God. But it's also interesting that God and his Son remain distinct. The two are not collapsed into a single being. Let's move on. Let's look in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, starting in verse 18. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and they said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. So, upon answering John's disciples and the Pharisees regarding the reason why Jesus does not fast, Jesus speaks of himself as the groom. And he describes his ministry of eating and feasting with tax collectors and sinners in regard to this wedding celebration. It's also interesting here that there is no mention of the bride, even though it's clear that there would be a bride at a wedding celebration. We just don't know the identity of this bride. And there's even a cryptic reference to a time when the groom will be taken away. At that time, there will be fasting and presumably some mourning. And this is almost certainly a veiled reference to the death of Jesus. Let's move on to the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, where the speaker is John the Baptist. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 29, it says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine is has been made full. And the passage goes on, and it says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, and has given all things into his hand. That's John chapter 3, verses 29 and 34 through 35. So John the Baptist, here speaking, regards himself as the friend of the bridegroom, almost as if John sees himself as the best man at the wedding. The groom here is very clearly the son of God, and the bride is mentioned, but the text is not clear as to whom the bride refers. And while the son functions as the groom, we learn that the Father has given all things into the hand of the Son, indicating that this prerogative, formerly belonging to God alone, has now been given to Jesus. Formerly, God was the husband within the covenant metaphor of marriage, and now God has handed that over to the Son. So now the Son is acting as the husband-slash-groom. And yet, within this passage, God and Jesus remain distinct. The Father and the Son remain distinct. God and the Son have not collapsed into a single being. That's enough of the Gospels. We can now turn and look at what the Apostle Paul has to say. He only has one particular passage of relevance on this topic, which is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 where Paul says, For I am jealous with you, with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Paul here very clearly regards Christ as the groom, And it's clear that the Christians in Corinth function as the bride, and this bride is considered to be a pure virgin. So it's interesting that now we have believers, Jews and Gentiles together, believing in Jesus, functioning as the bride within the covenant metaphor. Now Paul also sees that he has a personal role within this relationship, stating that he betrothed the believers to Christ. This indicates that Paul, who presumably converted these believers in Corinth, acted as a father of sorts to this young virgin daughter. It's very interesting to see how Paul regards his converts as his own children, in a sense, and he takes up the role of a father, handing off his virgin daughter to a worthy husband, that husband being Christ. And now we can move to the book of Revelation, where the bulk of the New Testament text are going to be described. Let's look in Revelation 19. We'll start in verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. That's Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9. So in Revelation where the bride and the groom metaphor is the strongest and most emphatic in the New Testament, we can see that the lamb functions as the groom. The bride is represented by the faithful people of God, namely the conquering people of God, as defined by the lamb. Moreover, within this passage, God and the lamb remain distinct. They are distinguished. As we move on, we can look in chapter 21, where this metaphor shows up again. In chapter 21, verse 2, it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. That's Revelation 21, verse 2. What we can see here is that the bride is the holy city, New Jerusalem. And this draws on the Hebrew Bible's habit of portraying the people of God collectively as a city, like how the Old Testament refers to the children of Israel as Jerusalem or as Zion. It regards a group of people as a single city. Now, based on the theology Of the book of Revelation. It is the conquering people of God, the believers defined by the Lamb, who are defined as New Jerusalem. So the New Testament people of God are both the bride and the city, and this should deter people from interpreting this as a literal city. Clearly in this passage the husband is the Lamb, that is Jesus. And it is noteworthy to point out that this city descends from God for the husband. As if God is giving this over to the Lamb. This, of course, distinguishes God and the Lamb within this passage. Now, later in chapter 21, this bride and New Jerusalem are again equated and further defined We'll start in chapter 21, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Revelation 21, verses 9 through 10. This passage is very significant because the angel says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And what do we actually find? We see that the bride is described as the holy city, the new Jerusalem. So the people of God are described as a city, and the city is described as the holy people. Much of this is the same as we've already seen in Revelation, the bride is is a heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, which is clearly the people of God. And the Lamb is the husband, the groom. And again, we see the city descends from God, again distinguishing God from the Lamb. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the Bible frequently portrays the relationship between God and and his people in terms of the covenant. And quite often, this covenant relationship is depicted in terms of a marriage between a man and a woman. We first noted that the old covenant regarded the husband as Yahweh himself, while the bride referred to the children of Israel. This occurred within the highly poetic sections of the Prophets. While God remained faithful in this marriage metaphor, Israel proved to be unfaithful, resulting in the prophecies uttered that promised restoration and covenant renewal. Second, we observed two interesting things in the shift of the marriage metaphor when we examine the New Testament data. Jesus Christ has now taken the role of the covenant husband, and the believing church is now portrayed as the covenant bride. This seems to be the natural progression in the renewal of the covenant, as the terms of the covenant are now defined by Jesus' teaching and the boundary markers of the covenant recipients are based on faithfulness rather than ethnic race third we saw that Jesus replacement of god in the role of the husband/groom was told in the manner of god handing the role over to jesus matthew portrayed the shift in terms of God giving a wedding banquet for his son. The Gospel of John described it in terms of the Father giving all things into the hands of the Son. Furthermore, the book of Revelation depicted this shift in terms of the bride descending from God, made ready for the Lamb. In other words... God's role as the groom within the marriage metaphor of the covenant has been given over to Jesus. Lastly, we observe that while Jesus has been authorized to function as the groom, the New Testament was clear to distinguish God and Jesus when discussing Jesus' new role. By portraying Jesus as the groom, The New Testament does not collapse God and Jesus into a single being. In other words, the New Testament's portrayal of Jesus as the covenant groom is not identifying Jesus as God, but rather indicating that God has highly authorized the Son of God with a divine prerogative. The depiction of Jesus as the authorized recipient of God's role as the covenant husband is consistent with a high human Christology, but it is incompatible with a Trinitarian Christology. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Join us next week as we look at what the book of Revelation means when it portrays Jesus as the Word of God? Does the Logos theology from the fourth gospel reappear in the book of Revelation? Please look forward to this episode. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support the podcast for free by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends and by writing an honest review on iTunes. If you feel led to donate to the podcast, you may check out the episode's description for a PayPal link. Thanks so much to Dustin Williams for his post-production and his editing of the Biblical Unitarian podcast week after week. But My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care, be safe, and have a happy new year.